When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. Hello and welcome to the Irish Stand podcast, an examination of Irish America and an attempt to overthrow Donald Trump. My name is Ayanna Rudan. <laughs> My name is Lisa Tierney Kyo. So Lisa, you have been overnight reading the latest, what can we call it, cluster feck coming from the United States of America. Yeah, it's it's uh, it all kicked. I mean, look, it's all kicking off. Oh, by the way, uh, we'll be talking to Larry Donnelly, law lecturer from NUIG uh, in a little bit. Who uh, knows a lot more than we do about democratic about stuff, about stuff, about parties and democratic candidates and things and uh, and Irish America and Boston and all the rest of it. And uh, I try really, really hard or I will try really, really hard not to uh, not to take yeah, off please his accent. don't do your Boston accent. Yeah. It's really bad. <laughs> oh my God. Wah. So, so here's what's happening. We're two weeks exactly from the midterms today, and it is intensifying. The, the there's all these ads going on. Like it's it's. I'm yeah. First of all, I'm so glad I'm not there because it would be a nightmare. But what seems to be happening is this intensification of complete and outright racism. There was, um, Donald Trump did a rally, I think it was in Houston. I said, you know, somebody can at me on Twitter and tell me I'm wrong. That's great. Um, But there has been, Republican political groups have aired ads uh, branding a Democratic congressional candidate, Antonio Delgado, who is black, as a big city rapper. Like, this is what, you know, and that accusing him of seeking to give out handouts to food stamp recipients like the racism. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The racism is intensifying. And what's happening is I think that Trump and the Republican Party are just like, yeah, we're just going to throw it all out there because we can do whatever we want. They have absolutely no there. There's no impunity. But is it working for them? I mean, I I know it's odious and it's horrible and it's disgusting. But if it wasn't working, they wouldn't be doing it. Right? It is working. That's why they're doing it. Mm. I, I think this is what it's. This is what this is what it's. This this is what it's come to. They're going to. They're using racism, and they're using the otherizing and the fear, the base of fear that oh these you know caravans of brown and black people are coming into your country. Talk to me about the caravans because Donald Trump was talking about caravans with a capital C for the last number of days. I mean. I don't even know what to say about this. Like, well, for for somebody who doesn't know anything about America, listening to this, what is he talking about when he's talking about caravans? I mean, okay, what I think he's talking about is that he's trying to instill this fear that there are literally caravans, as in like groups of people coming in trucks to come and take your America away. That's my understanding of it. That's a very okay, broad from Mexico, sweep. from the southern border. Yeah. yeah, from Mexico, or well, as far as as far as the people he's appealing to, it's Mexico, and like I put that in, I'm putting that in inverted commas, but like there are other countries. Okay, so basically, well. two weeks ago, and there's this buildup of mass immigration uh, on the southern border in caravans, and basically, it's called coming to a head. So you have to vote Republican because the Democrats aren't going to do anything about it, and they're going to take your country over. Yeah, they're basically turning this into a culture of flight fight about like national identity this is what it's coming down to it's like do you want your country to be brown or do you want your country to be white that's what it's coming down to and what's the response from democrats 
Nothing no. that I can hear. I mean, like what? Like what do they ever respond? Seriously. Is there ever like a broad, strong, sweeping like reject? Like, yeah, I mean, people will reject it. But like the narrative is never, ever as strong as what's go- what Trump is able to do. Listen, he is a disgusting tangerine monster, but he is charismatic. And I feel really sick in my stomach saying that he's got an appeal. He's got he just he's got chutzpah. He just sticks it out there. He goes but no, there's nobody on the Democratic side that's doing that. And he's, like he's they will be, see it as not like yeah. the whole like when we when they go high, we go low. Well, you know, I adore Michelle Obama, but you like something needs to happen. He's speaking to three, three demographics, right? He's speaking to the to the to the white working class and he can point to them and say, you got a tax cut. It was a small tax cut, but it was a tax cut. Yeah. He's speaking to the uh, super wealthy who have got a quite substantial uh, tax cut. And he's speaking to the evangelicals who he can point to his um, his Supreme Court picks. Yeah. So and all those three cohorts, you can say I delivered for you, promised, and I've kept my promises. Yeah, it's grim. I don't. I don't, like. Yeah, that's what he's doing, and I'm. I, I stand where I did last week, like two weeks ago. Um, I still believe that the Democrats will not take the Senate. Mm. which means that they will still effectively have no power. They may take the House of Representatives, which will give them something to niggle at. But then, you know, it will just it will just be another kind of rift in the division of America, of the two party system that's just breaking apart and making this just incredibly ineffective society where, you know, you've got a president on one hand who can just be like, look at all these brown people coming into your country and they're going to steal your jobs and like kill people. And then on the other side, you've got a party that just does not what does just doesn't know what to do with that. OK, and joining us on the line is Larry Donnelly, law lecturer in NUI Galway, political commentator. Larry, you're very welcome to the Irish Stand podcast. Hi, Larry. Very good to be with you. Larry, um, you are kind of the go to Irish American when it comes to political discussion about America. When we're in Ireland, whenever we discuss Trump or the midterms or anything to do with America, Larry Donnelly ends up on our, on our airwaves telling us what the story is. How did you end up here in the first instance? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I, I suppose I was a practicing lawyer in Boston, and that was not the career for me. I didn't like it. I was miserable. Uh, and I had spent a lot of time in Ireland when I was a kid. Um, but then I came over for a wedding in 2000, and it was the first time I'd ever left Boston that I was really depressed to be going back to Boston. Uh, and it wasn't just the wedding. It wasn't just the party. It was just something that uh, really struck a chord with me. Uh, so I spent the next, I suppose, six months or so scheming and plotting uh, about how I might get over here. Uh, and I literally stumbled into a fellowship, a one-year fellowship at NUI Galway for uh, an American to teach legal research and legal writing. Uh, and I applied for it, and, and I got it. Uh, and one year turn has now turned into 17. They couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> so, obviously, your name's Larry Donnelly. You're Boston. You're Boston Irish. How, how Irish is Larry Donnelly? Oh, well, my, my grandparents both emigrated when they, were, when they were two. When they were one or two years old, they were Bostonians, really. But uh, both from the, west, from the west of Ireland, so I have a lot of relations still uh, I visit on a regular basis in North County Galway and in uh, the West Common side of Athlone. So uh, I would be clo- very close to my cousins in uh, Galway. And even though they're distant relations, I'd actually be closer to them now than I would be to my first cousins uh, back in Boston. So 
Uh, it certainly would have been, uh, you know, a big part of my life growing up. I mean, a lot of listeners might be familiar with uh, my uncle Brian and Brian Donnelly from the Donnelly Visa Program. Uh, so my family's been active in politics, I think, since they emigrated. Uh, and my uncle Brian would probably be one of very few politicians in the world who's actually more well-known in another country uh, than his own. And he's very well-known here, obviously, for the Donnelly Visa. But just to give us a sense, I mean, as Irish people, sometimes we can, I don't know, we have an exaggerated view of our own importance, but how important was your Irishness to you or to your family growing up? Was it a hobby, something that was cute, but fundamentally you're American, or was it something more more profound and more deeply rooted than that? It was central to, to my upbringing, but I, but I do want to make the point that in many ways, uh, growing up in the neighborhood I did, I grew up in something of a bubble. Uh, Ireland was central to all of our our identities, Uh, and and before I came on, I was just thinking through, and if I look around my 15, 16, like the the wider group of extended friends, uh, the majority of my friends, at least one of their parents is is Irish-born, and in many cases, both of them are Irish-born, but I do recognize that that is a bubble. I mean, where I grew up in East Milton, Massachusetts, uh, was the most Irish community in the United States, so... um, for, for us, and politically, it was central. And for instance, I mean, we would have been taught explicitly uh, on ballots that if we weren't familiar with candidates, that we voted for the Irish name on the ballot. Uh, so it would have been very central to our, to our identity growing up. But I do recognize that that is uh, a bubble, and I do recognize that because of the decline in Irish immigration um, to the United States, uh, fewer and fewer people are going to have that similar experience of growing up Irish almost as much as American in the United States. But what well, are different types of Irish America? I mean, are there are Irish Americans who trace their roots back to the famine? Are they very different in their outlook on life to 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 more recent immigrants like like yourself or other people you describe whose parents have been born in Ireland? Do they do they view the American experience differently? Uh, I think that's probably true. I mean, I think if you look at people, especially uh, who moved inward. I mean, Boston was traditionally the first the, the starting point for a lot of Irish people, and then. Um, you know, as generations went on, typically you'll see that they move to other parts of the country. Uh, and there's no question but that their experience of Ireland, their experience, experience of Irishness is quite different and probably diluted uh, in a big way because they were growing up in different communities and much more diverse communities than I would have grown up in. Uh, so there certainly is a difference. And I think part of that was uh, politics also, I think, uh, switched with that. I mean, the reality is that uh, a lot of Irish Americans who would have been from the democratic tradition, uh, again, as generations have gone by, have moved to the political right and now are Republicans and see things very, very differently and would identify uh, first and foremost as Americans. And that Irish connection uh, has become tenuous for them. There's no question that that's true. Can I ask you, um, Larry, what is your what would be your elevator pitch on how the Democrats are faring at the moment in the lead up to the midterms? Like where where do you see them right now? Uh, I think that they are going, I mean, I still think that they are going to take the House. I do not think that they're going to take the Senate. But what I despair about is they don't have a coherent message other than we don't like Donald Trump. And I just don't think that's good enough, uh, either on the substance or on the politics, because um, there are very many voters in the United States with whom Donald Trump, like him or not, struck a chord. Uh, I don't think the Democratic Party has done anywhere near enough to speak to that demographic, and they need those people in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio. I tend to, I agree with you, and I think, but I think this has been a consistent problem with the Democrats. So, what is the what is the problem? Like, where is it going wrong? Like, why are the Democratic Party not able to come out with a clear, coherent message rather than we don't like Donald Trump? 
Uh, I think there's a, a couple of things, and I, I think that the, the the party, in my in my mind, uh, has moved slightly to the right to the right or to a more corporatist agenda uh, on economic issues, and it has moved way left uh, on cultural issues. And indeed, uh, I would argue uh, that it's almost become intolerant on some cultural issues. That is intolerant of people who take a different view. And, and when they did that, while they've done that. Um, they've lost an awful lot of people. They've lost an awful lot of, in, in the United States, for instance, if you Irish America, um, the word Catholic is inextricably intertwined with it. They've lost an awful lot of Catholic Democrats because of the positions they've taken on certain issues. And that's the, that's the right. They're a leftist center party. They're always going to take those positions. But uh, they've made people who take a different view feel very, very unwelcome. And I think that that's, a tr- that's an awful mm-hmm. mistake. The reason all of this is happening is... Um, in the United States, as you know, the role of money in elections is significant. Uh, and there's very little money in moderation. The, mon- the money is on the two poles. So while the Republicans get dragged ever rightward uh, by right-wing and special interests, uh, the Democrats tend to get dragged on cultural issues at least ever leftward mm. uh, by left-wing special interests. And I think that's a big problem in American politics. It used to be uh, that there were moderates. It used to be there were liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats, and those were the people who made things happen. Increasingly, we see very, very few of those people anymore. Where did the moderates go, Larry? The, if you look at the American people, the American people actually uh, are still rather moderate. I mean, there's this idea that the people are divided, etc. If you look at the opinion polls, however, uh, you'll see that most of them do, uh, would define their politics as somewhere between the two extremes. On the flip side, however, you have uh, the two parties have drifted very much in, in different directions. Uh, and again, that, that comes down to special interest money. So a lot of moderates, I think, have drifted probably uh, into the Republican Party. But I think that, and by and large, I think they're sick of the system and they're angry with the system. But um, both parties collude in what is a mutually beneficial system for them both uh, and one in which uh, the power of money and special interest cannot be understated. You touched on it there as to why your average Irish American maybe have drifted from the Democratic Party. I mean, you grew up in Boston, Democratic. I mean, such a democratic uh, city, the Irish American community. We would have thought over here would be more uh, more aligned with, with the Democratic Party. Obviously, you know, from, from the candies, etc. What is it, and why is it that so many Irish names are surrounding the Trump administration? Can you can you do you, do you think it's because of the of the Catholicism and and the drift away from from the the democratic left wing values when it comes to social issues like that, or have a lot of Irish Americans just become I don't know more materialistic, more selfish, and and the Republican Party is the way to go? I, I think it's a, a bit of all of the above, Aon. I think that there's truth to all of that. I think, yeah, part of it is the cultural issues that have shifted some people. Part of it is uh, that there are a lot of Irish Americans have uh, made a tremendous amount of money and been very, very successful in the United States. And unfortunately, uh, for some of them, that means almost forgetting their roots and forgetting where they came from. Uh, and all of a sudden, a Republican Party that says we're going to cut taxes for very wealthy people, et cetera, and we're going to do the bidding uh, of the 1%, uh, all of a sudden, the party that makes those kind of promises becomes much more attractive uh, to a party that, in their view, uh, would be bound by, um, by identity politics and would have, take too much of a left-wing slant on things. Uh, so that's, uh, that's unfortunate. I think it's that phenomenon of, uh, you know, once the, you get up the ladder, pulling the ladder up uh, with you, uh, and I think that that's a shame. I think a lot of those people, and you commented on this before, and I, th- and I agree, uh, I think a lot of these people have fundamentally forgotten what they, where they came from and forgotten the values uh, that they would have learned from their forebears, uh, and I think that's a terrible shame. But, th- but this is the thing, and I know Lisa feels this as well, Like for, for, for us over here, when you hear the 
anti-immigrant sentiment, when you hear the xenophobia, when you hear all this, you know, stereotypes being thrown out about about people coming over the border and, you know, crime and and all the rest of it, and how anybody from an Irish American background cannot react against that for, for me is slightly mind-blowing i mean if you understand anything about the irish experience for me it's 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 coffin ships it's immigration it's overcoming uh, religious prejudice um in, in a country which is very suspicious of uh, of, of a catholic influx uh, from ireland it's it's all those things all those negative stereotypes that were once labeled that the irish are now labeled that mexicans and, and muslims and all the rest of it and how they can't make that the connection between those two things, how they can celebrate St. Patrick's Day and not see the hypocrisy in that. To, to me, it's just mind-bending. I, I don't know, do you see that as well? Or, or do, can, can they compartmentalise those two things in their heads? I, I mean, I, I see it every time I'm home, Alan. I mean, if I look at my own group of friends, it's roughly 50-50 uh, between people who voted for Donald Trump and people who did not. And the, what I would say to them in, uh, is that they have very, very short memories uh, and I think that there's one thing that's a phenomenon, and I think Lisa wanted to talk about this, but there's one phenomenon here is that um, they other the people who are now immigrating to the United States. There's a sense that uh, when we emigrated, when our parents or our grandparents or even further back, when they immigrated, they did so legally. They did so for the right reasons. They worked hard, et cetera, et cetera. There's a perception, a very wide perception uh, among Irish Americans uh, that more recent immigrant groups uh, have come over illegally, that they're sponging off the system, uh, that they commit crime at disproportionate rates, that they're a burden on taxpayers, uh, effectively that they're just not as good uh, as the Irish people who preceded them. Uh, and that's a fundamentally mistaken narrative because the Irish, like other immigrant groups, had their own difficulties, had their own problems, and the very same accusations were hurled uh, against them. Uh, in time, however, they proved to be a great success. I mean, the Irish, Irish people in many ways helped to build America. Uh, I similarly think that some of the more recent immigrant groups, that ultimately that that's what they will do, too. They will add their own dimension uh, to the United States, but it's just a terrible pity that more Irish people, more Irish Americans don't see that. Uh, and I think w- one thing I would say is there are some, uh, I suppose, harbingers of hope, and I know this might sound parochial, but if you listen to the mayor of my home city, Martin Walsh, mm. Uh, whose parents both came from Connemara, he couldn't, there couldn't be a more eloquent spokesperson yeah. um, for these kinds of issues and for these kinds of values. And he had a very interesting pitch when he ran for mayor of Boston. He said, and it's, it's funny, but it's actually true, he said, look, I know what it's like to be born to two parents for whom English isn't the first language. And it was an extraordinary way of, of expressing that kinship that he as the son of immigrants had uh, with other uh, sons of immigrants, and I just wish more Irish American leaders would take that cue from him. Why, Larry, do you think this is? Because I, I think a lot about this, and having just returned from from the US, uh, I, I saw that all the time. Do you think, I mean, look, I have my own beliefs about this. I agree with you. I think there's a huge amount of othering that goes on in the US, and I think there is a big fear of the of the other. Do you think that this is coming from like this pulling up of the ladder and this kind of like short memory of the Irish American immigrant experience? Do you think it's that it's ignorance or do you think it's that they just don't care or it's are we literally talking about this is because they are brown or they are black and we are white? Like what where do you where do you see this? I I think it's I think it's a mix uh, of all of those things. I think look, I think as human beings we're we're frail. We're not, we 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 have a lot of weaknesses and sometimes 
uh, we have our inner demons. And I think that a lot of people uh, are guided by those things and let those things take over and let them take over their thinking. Uh, I think if you look at any geographic location in the United States, there'll be uh, individual circumstances that contribute to uh, these sorts of deep-rooted, deep-seated, uh, unfortunate feelings. And I can say that, for instance, in the city of Boston, uh, there's no question but that the forced busing crisis, which was a disaster of epic proportions in the 1970s, uh, there's no question but that that has fueled racism uh, and hatred for decades because of the unfortunate incidents uh, of that time period. So there are these, uh, you know, there's a human weakness, there's, I, I suppose, geographical specific instances uh, in different communities. But how do you eradicate this stuff? I think it's very, very hard. And I think it's even harder uh, when you have politicians who skillfully manipulate this, this sentiment. Uh, and whatever you think about Donald Trump, uh, in one sense, uh, you have to give the devil his due because he very, very skillfully manipulated that sentiment that he saw across the country and that fear he saw across the country. Uh, he very skillfully played to that in, two, in 2016. Oh, yeah, he's winning at that. He is winning at dividing the country. He is winning at playing the race card, at playing that they're coming in here. You know, And use, even the use of the word illegal is just so demeaning and dehumanizing. Mm, but, but, but I agree with Lisa. I, I think he is still winning. And, I mean... Uh, I'm fascinated to get your take on this because I think I'm in the bubble. I don't know, Lisa, if you feel you're in the bubble when we're, when we're watching American politics, we watch it through a certain lens, we get this sense of this blue wave coming. I know you said that there's potential for, for the Democrats to do well, um, but I I agree with, with Lisa as well. There doesn't seem to be any narrative coming from the Democratic Party that, that any other traditional base would, would, would come back to. If you think of losing a state like Pennsylvania, which has voted... Democratic, I think, in every presidential election since 1988, uh, there's a reason why they switched. And I think to 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 suggest that anybody who voted Trump is well, effectively a racist, is to is to completely misunderstand the dynamics of uh, of American politics. There's any amount of people who voted Obama twice who then turned to Trump. I think because they felt it it amounted to a kind of a change. I mean, if you if you looked at Clinton versus um versus Trump, Trump offered the change uh, from from the establishment type politics that people have gotten uh, dis- you know, disenchanted with and, and felt dis- disenfranchised by. Talk to me about the midterms, Larry. Give me some hope here. Give me some sense that things will actually um, improve and how do we shake up these Irish Americans who, who we need to remind us uh, of their heritage and, and of the hypocrisy of, of their politics in the current day and age? Well, the, the, the latter question, I don't know how we... I, that, okay, okay, well, no, let's not worry about the latter question. <laughs> Go with the first one. <laughs> um, but the, but the, the, the first one, um, if you look at the polling data, and if you dig a little bit deeper underneath the polling data, um, the suggestions are that turnout is going to be good, that Democrat, that the, ta- the, dem- the target groups for Democrats, uh, the turnout is going to be very good. For instance, they're forecasting that uh, turnout is going to be up 10%. Uh, from the 2014 midterm election, uh, and that the vast majority of these people are, are likely Democratic voters. So the Democrats nationally hold about a 7%, a 7 or 8% lead, uh, which would give them back uh, the House of Representatives, which obviously would be significant in terms of, uh, I suppose, being a thorn, a perpetual thorn in Donald Trump's side uh, and preventing some of his more radical initiatives from getting over the line. Uh, it's it's very, very difficult for me to see how they can take the Senate just the way that the numbers are and the seats that are being um, uh, that are up this year for election. Uh, so I think Democrats will take the House back, which I think is a good sign. Uh, I don't think they'll take the Senate back, but what that will mean for 
um, the next two years of Donald Trump's first term is a fascinating question. Uh, in one sense, some people close to, to Trump say uh, that Democrats taking back the House could actually be a good thing. Remember that the House doesn't impeach, only the Senate has that power, and I don't see that being utilized uh, at any stage to, unless there's something totally uh, unforeseeable comes out of the Mueller investigation. So Trump, in effect, uh, if the Democrats do have the House, he can blame them for everything. Everything he doesn't get done, uh, everything that's stymied, he can point the fingers at Congress. And you talk about Donald Trump's approval ratings, which have gone up a little bit recently. Um, Nancy Pelosi's approval ratings are in the gutter. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that him being able to point at Democrats in Congress and make them the bogeyman, uh, I think that might be a very effective re-election strategy for him. I love the way you say gutter. Gala. Why do you think she's, why are Nancy Pelosi's approval ratings in the gutter? Uh, I think she's. I think she is. Why? I, no, I met Nancy Pelosi, and I quite, I quite like her. I think she's a very personable uh, woman. I met her in Dublin. I, I, I really liked her. Uh, I do, however, think that it was time for her to go uh, after the last election. The reason is that the politics is a tough game. It's a tough business. It's a cruel business, and it's an unfair business. And the reality is, the majority, vast majority of Americans view her. Uh, as an out-of-touch San Francisco liberal. That is how she is perceived by uh, the vast majority of Americans, especially in middle America. Uh, and with a woman like her, as formidable as she is, and again, I have a lot of time for her, with her as the face of Democrats in Congress, again, uh, it gives Republicans a very, very easy target uh, to point at the whole time. So I think that new leadership uh, is needed in the House. I think if they do take it back, uh, I think it's unlikely that they're going to get it. But this is one of the things, you talk about how the Democrats can regain some strategic advantage. This is one of the things that they're going to need to take a long, hard look at it. People like Chuck Schumer in the Senate, Nancy Pelosi in the House, they're great fundraisers, they're liberal Democrats, yeah, they need but to they're, go. Not the faces who, yeah. they're not the faces who are going to persuade middle America to come back to the Democratic Party. And is that why Kamala Harris, for example, in California is is not potentially presidential candidate because it's 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 the same reason uh, Californian Democrat is not going to reach out to the hearts and minds of of middle America. I think that that's I think that that's probably true. Uh, but again, she's a formidable person who I wouldn't rule out of anything. But I want I mean, in terms of presidential candidates, in terms of who might take on Donald Trump, I do think that the midterms are going to be instructive. I think that the midterms are going to point. Uh, after to after they're over, the number crunches are going to look at what types of Democrats most resonated with the American people in the midterms. I suspect that the Democrats who most closely fit that bill uh, are the ones to whom the early money will start to flock to, uh, and that will determine how things go. Uh, I know Elizabeth Warren is pretty strongly indicating that she is going to run. Uh, I think that she's a flawed candidate in many ways. Again, I have a huge amount of time for her. I think she's uh, done extraordinary work both before she went into politics and since she's been in there. I think she's a vulnerable candidate. However, I think Donald Trump, uh, in some respects, would love dearly to run against her. Uh, so I think that the, the Democrats would be wise to nominate someone who is newer, uh, a fresher face, uh, somebody who can appeal, again, both to the base and to alienated Americans. What about a candy from Boston? No, let me let me ask this. <laughs> let me ask this. I'm going to go there. Is there a candy from Boston? There is a candy oh, from Boston. I don't know. Larry... Is America ready to vote for a woman? Because they weren't ready for Hillary. They were not. And I, I, per, I listen, we could talk. This is a whole separate podcast. Do you think the United States is ready for a woman to be in power? I do. Yeah, I do. I think that the, I think that the right woman could win. I think that if the Democrats nominate the right woman, I think that she could win the presidency. Uh, look, Hillary Clinton came, despite being a flawed candidate, Hillary Clinton came within 80,000 votes of winning the thing. 
Uh, and that's a phenomenon we could spend another whole podcast in, mm. uh, on, is the absolute hatred and the dislike for Hillary oh, Clinton it's... is so pervasive in the United States. And the amount of people, including a lot, of, awful lot of women, who said to me, I just cannot stand that woman. Uh, and I think it's a whole mixture of different reasons people have uh, for why they don't like her. Uh, but that, I think, was fatal, ultimately, to her candidacy. But on the question of whether a woman could be elected president, yes, I think she could. What is, what is the right kind of woman? What do you think? Like, what is... No, I'm serious. What... what uh, he's a, sorry, Aeon is laughing at me. Here. I'm not laughing. Uh, no, what, like, what is... What kind of a woman is America going to elect? You know, uh, taking the Hillary it's Clinton... Not that it's, I, probably, I probably state that the wrong way. The right kind of candidate who is yeah. a woman. I think that a woman who could do the things that I just mentioned to you, which yeah. is... Again, fire up the base, but all at the same time, uh, reach out to those alienated Americans who voted for Donald Trump. A woman who could do that, and uh, somebody like Amy Globuchar, right. there are a few names that are in the ether. Uh, someone like that, I think, is the, is the type of person. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, again, while she's a formidable individual, yeah. uh, I just don't think that, I, I just don't, even though she's actually been a very strong advocate for policies that would help middle America, uh, I just don't see middle America really swooning over uh, a Harvard Law School professor. Yeah, no, I agree with Cambridge you. I, and talks it's, about it's going backwards. Shop like everyone has one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of going backwards, isn't it, as opposed to going going forward. So give us some names, which a little bit more than 12 months from the Iowa caucus. Who do you think? You think the midterms would be instructive, but is there anybody you think is is interested and and do you think would would do well? Or or are we going back uh, to I old love- names like Joe Biden and, and people like that? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not, I'm not, if I name somebody, I'll probably put the curse of God on them. Yeah, okay. I just don't That's think, fair. I don't think that the, I, I do not think that the old, that the winning candidate will come from the old God. Uh, Joe Biden, again, I have a huge amount of time for him, uh, but I don't think that he will be the guy. I don't think, I think Bernie Sanders is going to be too old. Uh, so I think it is somebody like Amy Klobuchar, somebody like um, one of the, the Castro, one of the Castro brothers from Texas. Uh, or somebody, for instance, uh, there's a long-shot candidate who actually is talking about all the right things, a guy named Pete Buttigieg, uh, who is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who's making all the right notes, if you ask right. me, uh, about how the Democrats can reach out to people in middle America. Uh, it's going to be someone of that ilk. And again, I think if the midterms is going to indicate what type of Democrat Americans are ready for. Larry, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Larry. Well, I found that really fascinating, at least just to have the perspective of somebody who's clearly Irish-American. His Irishness is important to him. He's living in Ireland, so he can see things from the uh, from the Irish perspective and obviously from the Democratic pr- perspective. But my pessimism about the the blue wave, he doesn't he doesn't share that. He he feels that the that the um, the Democrats are well placed to take the House, which is which is something. Yeah, I mean, I I I yes, and it's. Any optimism I think we'll take. However, um, everybody got it super wrong about Donald Trump. Everybody. Like, I like the. I remember the New York Times had a poll and they were like so, so way off. Um, so I am, I'm skeptical. And I think that that comes from my own fear that um, I don't trust that people will go and do the right thing. I still, he, um, he, Larry talked about people showing up that they're expecting more and more people to turn up and I'm I'm afraid of the opposite I'm afraid that people still won't turn up but I, I can just see I mean it's a bit like Northern Ireland and uh, maybe a bit like Britain at the moment where you know if it's such a pressure cooker of a, of a political um, a political sort of um, pressure cooker if you like I know my, my words aren't great here but you can just 
understand why somebody just would want to talk about anything else. Yeah. I mean, you just, why would you want to engage in that? Let's, let's talk about anything, baseball, American football, anything, music, anything. It, just don't come into my space and start talking about Trump because my brain can't take it. Yeah, no, it alienates people. Yeah. People just, it, people and are being And they feel powerless over, of, of doing anything about Yeah, they're it. being overloaded with it. They're being, and I think people's brains are short-circuiting. They just can't take it anymore. I mean, the culture over there right now is just toxic. Mm. I mean, why would you want to go and engage with that? Why would you want to go and engage with something that's making you feel, that's oppressing you or making you feel awful? Because frankly, the resistance doesn't feel strong enough in my opinion. And is the, resi- is the resistance too extreme? I mean, I'm just throwing it out there before anybody gets annoyed with me. You know, the I'll scene... i get annoyed with you. The scenes, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, the scenes around the Kavanaugh... The Kavanaugh um, How is that extreme? I'm not saying... This is, I'm just... I'm just I just posed a question. Go on. I just posed a question. All right. That if you're trying to if you're trying to reach for the moderate American, yeah. right? If you're trying to reach for the person who previously voted Republican yeah. or or maybe voted Republican a few times or voted Trump and now is thinking twice about it, is that type of resistance gonna bring them on board or are they playing into the narrative of the, the radical Democrat that you couldn't put anywhere any anywhere in charge of anything? Well it depends on who's creating the narrative, which yeah. is really the danger. Okay. And that is exactly what like when Kellyanne Conway said that like alternative faxing and all the bilge that Sean Hannity is spouting on Fox News, like they're creating that narrative of these like crazy left liberals who couldn't, you know, these crazy hysterical women which is the same old, same old thing that we've been doing forever. People went and protested Kavanaugh hearings because they did not want him to be appointed to the Supreme Court. And what was going down was crazy. The man was accused of sexual assault and there was an investigation in one week. And then he was just confirmed. And we all knew it was going to play out like that. So what are you supposed to do? Stay home? We're like, yeah, that's grand. No, you, I know people who went down and were like, yeah, today's going to be my first arrest because I am not having this. And, you know, that is it's grassroots resistance there. But the resistance is not being backed up on a larger scale by the Democratic Party or by broader politicians who are so scared to stand up to it. They're so scared to alienate part of their base because America is such a like vast, complex country that they can't actually stand up like that. So it's. The resistance is small in pockets, but it's not being backed up, you know, kind of on a large scale. Hmm. Lisa, I you know. Have, you I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm writing down all these words. Bilge. I'm going to use bilge. that more often. Yeah. Word for you. Now, okay. Now, so I'm going to be trying. I'm going to try and be end on a positive note. Well, I, I need to talk to you about the Irish presidential election. Oh my god! Because you've you've come back into this part of the world. You've, you've roamed home. <laughs> you've roamed home. I want to uh, ask you because I mean I'm kind of involved. I've been campaigning yeah. for Michael D. Yeah. Uh, and all the rest of it. And now you are you are observing. Uh, yeah. I had my first Irish presidential first Irish, election. Yeah. Uh, debate last week. Like the last the last few presidential debates I've seen are the ones in America, which are let's face it, pretty grim. Um, but that was, I was sitting there watching, is it Peter? Peter Casey. Peter Casey. Yeah. Basically say <laughs> that travelers are not their own ethnic people. Yeah. After having been declared and yep. officially recognized as their own I ethnic spent five group. years on that, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah I know yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. And to me, it was the most audacious racism I'd seen by an Irish 
person running. For, I'm not going to call him a politician because he's not. I don't even know what he does. Uh, I'm not paying attention to him. Um, he's a businessman. Yeah. Okay. Well, a businessman running for politics. This is what. But this is dangerous. This is this is where. But this is what annoys like, this me. Is, I don't want to be precious about politics, right? I don't want to be precious. But like, I wouldn't. I, w- I mean, John here. I mean, I said to John there. I, w- I wouldn't go behind the desk there and start fiddling with buttons and assume that I know what I'm doing. I wouldn't go over from right to play, uh, you know, and, and tro- troop down to the abbey like you do and plenty say, of people do and, <laughs> <laughs> and say put that on. And I, I just, I'm not trying to be precious about politics, but the audacity. Oh, I know. And the arrogance. Now I've I made know. some money in the. I, 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 I'm, I'm a successful business. I just throw my hand at this politics yeah, uh, business it's grand. and it's grand and I can say what I like but you can't arrogance you can't you, yeah. you have to be nuanced and you have to research but what you think, think and you have to come up with some cogent arguments as to the way things are coming out with this sort of uh, these one liners about Nonsense. travelers and then heading down to the to, to I mean to, to the site in, in Tipperary which is which clearly there's a dynamic down there that doesn't need the attention of the national media there's something going on between the, the traveller families and the local authority that will be sorted out in time but doesn't need a politician running for running for the presidency to let, to, to arrive down there and, and, and to throw his tuppence worth yeah, in. He gross. actually thought it was in Cork. He was on the radio <laughs> two weeks, a week previously. And he said, it wasn't a thing down in Cork. And the, and the interviewer said, what? 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 No, I think it's in Tipperary. It's he had the He had the cat's clue. And he's doubled down yesterday with his talk about welfare recipients and the welfare state, like welfare state is a bad thing. And then we see these American-style ads with an American accent over the ads talking know, about how his dogs aren't Irish so listen after after last week's podcast I don't know why I feel like I'm blaming you for this <laughs> yeah it's all my fault <laughs> oh, it's my fault saying, you Sorry. came over here with your influence from the I states oh, listen <laughs> listen some of the ads that are going on in America are just I mean they're unreal I was uh, I was uh, texting with a friend of mine and she was she listened to the podcast last week and she she was surprised that to that American culture would have such an influence around the world and I was trying to say that like Whatever America puts down, the rest of the world picks up. Like mm. they're like we're so influenced by American culture, and we have done since we were kids. So if they're laying down these, let's face it, frankly, very very scummy ads that are super racist, and then some. I, look, some I don't want to, I don't want to defame myself or get and get, I don't yeah. want to defa- I don't want to get into any kind of trouble yeah. here. But like when some some man comes along, and says, <laughs> some man, some, man <laughs> some, el- some lad comes along and is like, yeah. I'm going to run for president and you I'm going to run I can see your ad. brain there working. You went through about 17 words in I your did. head I did. before you came out with the I word did. man. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> it, was, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. I lo- yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, but that's but that's the, that's a direct influence of, you know, uh, racist ads running over in America, in American politics. And then, you know, the Internet, obviously, and, you know, access to the communication, and the culture. And then this guy comes along and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stand on national television in Ireland and, and deny that travellers are their own ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Outra- and and, and not, only, not only say it, but then like own it and be like, yeah. I'm and gonna, then double and down on it. And double down on it. And it's audacious and it's grotesque. And it's, you know, it might appeal to some people. Like, listen, I spend a lot of time in the sewers of Twitter and Facebook because I like to get a read on how... In the gutter. In the gutter. Yeah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I, it, it, it really... It, like just trying to get a read on what's going so on. So I'm saying that with affection, by the way, because I, I don't, I don't want. I mean, I have. He's been trying I to do a tried, Boston accent all morning. I have done I mean, Larry's accent to him on occasion. He thinks I, I sound, love the Boston accent. He thinks I love I sound like accent. a New Yorker uh, who has a cold. Um, but yeah, sorry. So, so you, you, you've been in the in the in the in the gala of Twitter. I've been in the gutter of Twitter, and I've been in the in the, in the sewer of Facebook, and the things and 
people there are people out there who will see someone like Peter Casey yeah. and be like he's my yeah, man he's my guy yeah now yeah. hopefully it'll be like five people but who knows like I I get such like anxiety about these kind of moments like when when we were coming up to the repeal election or the referendum I was I mean like most people in an absolute state the week particularly in the week before I was in America I didn't have a vote I was sending pizzas and donuts to the repeal headquarters just to try and be like I can't do anything but I can do this I was having conversations with people and but I was so afraid that this would be our Brexit Trump moment and I was so heartened and lifted by the fact that the Irish people were like no we're not going to do this we're going to be a compassionate society however and but now we're and because it is an important role and pe- Irish people are very proud to have we we do take our presidential role even though it is a ceremonial role we take it seriously and it is important to us and i i we don't want to be seen to be like america or mm. or England. Yeah, I, I think we're still imprisoned by the ages in which we grew up in. That we assume Ireland is still like that. Or I think we're probably still traumatized by that whole experience of, of referenda in the ages and and how divisive they were. Um, e- even just that's only the beginning of the trauma. Yeah, but even just last <laughs> night I was on I was on Claire Burns show talking about um, the the citizenship referendum in 2004, which romped home. It was like 79 yeah. or 80 percent. Uh, and then there was a poll suggesting that if the that uh, referendum took place today that only 44% of uh, 44% of yeah. people would give absolute right for, for, for children born here uh, to have Is citizenship that, rights hang on a second but that's, that's that's like um, a total change. In, now, I know it's 15 years, but yeah. we have an assumption the way uh, the way Ireland feels in certain topics and then we kind of underestimate how compassionate we are. But there will always be and politics is like this and society is like that. There, there will be a turn. There will be a, uh, a kickback on this and, and, and on some stage and some level. And people feel there is a political advantage for being for being racist or being xenophobic or, or picking on a vulnerable group and saying it's their fault. Um, they'll do it. And it has happened in, in certain subtle ways. I mean, I, I'm very critical of Leo Varadkar's Fine Gael campaign, speaking about those who get up early in the morning and um, welfare cheats uh, cheat us all. It's very deliberate, in my view, uh, to to isolate a certain group and saying that's the reason. Yeah, they're the reason. They're, well, they are the ones who are dragging us down. It's an incredibly privileged point of view to come from, and without and like unless you're coming at something with compassion, you're not. You're really not doing your job as a human mm. being. I think, and I really feel that we have to very strongly reject any kind of like direction where people are like, yeah, you know, look at those people. It's those people over there. Those any kind of any kind of otherizing that happens in this country needs to be strongly rejected. Thanks very much for listening to the Irish Stand podcast. Thanks, We've had John, John on the buttons. Oh, uh, and I'd like to say that we eventually got ourselves up on iTunes. So if you uh, oh, yeah. if you want to hear more bants uh, between me and Aeon trying to figure out America and overthrow Trump from a tiny room on the north side, <laughs> <laughs> will you please listen to our podcast? This is where it started from. When so it happens, we can, we can actually say it was us. Started from here. Yeah, I know. And we're amazing. Yeah. Um, that's a joke. You better edit that out. Yeah, let's, let's leave it. We're, we're cutting that bit out, John. No, and also, um, no, but subscribe. And if you could leave a review or you could rate us, um, and it, it would be great if you could leave a nice review because um, <laughs> if, you, if you want to say something nasty, you can just at me, Lisa TK on Twitter because I don't care. Yeah. All right. Uh, and I'm also, Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. 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 If you're in America and you're listening, Vote Democrat. Anybody, honestly, blindly. And is, and is there blindly, anybody out there? Blindly. <laughs> blindly. <laughs> Thanks, man. Right, thank you.